Welcome to another episode of the CC Podcast Conversations, where inspiring Christians share their faith-filled stories. Please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast, leave a five-star rating, and write a review. This helps push our content to a broader audience. Are you new to listening? Check out our other podcasts. First, the CC Podcast Daily Dose Devotions, where we're walking through the Bible, focusing on short clips of Scripture. Second is the CC Broadcast, where our weekly radio programming is archived. These podcasts are available wherever you're listening or at christiancrusaders.org. Okay, let's get started with today's episode. Here's our host, Matt Reister, the Executive Director of Christian Crusaders. Hey everybody, Matt Reister with the CC Podcast Conversations. We are at the CPE, Christian Products Expo in Lexington, Kentucky. I keep wanting to say consumer. Andrew's here. He's sitting in a short chair. I am. And looks like a third grader. I am. Until uh, <laughs> the, the guys just brought up uh, what they thought were the chairs we needed, and they brought us more short chairs. So I'm, until they bring us some tall chairs, I'm waiting. They just told us to set up anywhere. And so we're set up in this big hallway outside this convention center, which is right outside Rupp Arena yeah. in Lexington, where the Kentucky Wildcats play basketball. Right up at the top of the stairs. And it's a, it's a good the, spot. It's a great spot. We, yeah. We cap- captured a uh, high top table, but now we need a couple more high chairs. Yep. So we'll get there. The staff here are really nice. So, so. this interview that people are going to hear is with Grace Fox, and Grace Fox has written a few devotionals, and she and her husband are missionaries and mission mobilizers. They live on a sailboat in British Columbia. <laughs> did you know that? No, I did not. That sounds actually that sounds like a lot of fun. It's incredible because she's got a couple cool illustrations that she's learned spiritual lessons uh, by living on this boat and uh i'd like to pay the property taxes there i don't know how they do that i'm i'm, I'm guessing you don't have to, i mean there's probably like a a fee you've got to pay to keep your boat in the harbor or something but incredible one know. thing that was interesting is i used to work for power to change the canadian arm of campus crusade and my office was up in langley just outside vancouver in british columbia so i get up there two three times a year sure and so to listen to grace talk she talks like all those Canucks up there. Yeah, brought, brought back something. Yeah. That's good. a beautiful area. Oh, uh, yeah. It's just a gorgeous area to be. Good people. And we had a great conversation. Grace has so much passion for what she's doing, uh, believes it. That'll come through in the interview. People will be encouraged by it. And I'm so thankful we had a chance to meet her here at CPE. And I hope people enjoy the interview. And Grace, uh, thanks, for, thanks for joining us. I know you'll be listening to this. It was good to meet you. everybody, Matt Reister here with the CC Podcast Conversations. I am at the cons- the Christian Products Expo. I keep wanting to say Consumer Products Expo, but it's the Christian Products Expo. A bunch of authors and publishers and bookstore owners like our very own board member, Joyce Barbati from TJ's Christian Bookstore in Cedar Falls, Iowa. And I have the chance right now to talk with Grace Fox. Grace has written a devotional called Keeping Hope Alive, Devotions for Strength in the storm, but Grace, we were catching up on a few things before we hit record. Uh, you live in British Columbia. I do, really close to Vancouver. And I used to work for Power to Change, the Canadian arm of Campus Crusade. Their headquarters are in Langley, and I knew people in Abbotsford, so we've got some common connections it's there. It's a small, small world, isn't it? Were you born and raised over there? I was born and raised in southern Alberta, yeah, just a couple hours east of Calgary, if anybody knows where that is. It's, you bet. Yeah. And it's interesting, as you hear Grace talk, you're going to hear this Canadian accent, which reminds me of being back with my team 
in uh, Langley. I'd get up there two or three times a year, fly into Seattle. Okay, yeah, you can fly and then into I'd Seattle. Rent yeah. a car and drive up. Yeah. Because it was cheaper than flying internationally. Oh, I know it is. Yeah. And it's probably gotten even more expensive. I've been away from that for two or three years now, so. It can be crazy expensive. I only I live only 20 minutes from the Vancouver International Airport, so that's typically where I fly from. It's pretty handy. Yeah. But not not very cheap. <laughs> what, what's the abbreviation for that? Something y, VYY? YVR. YVR. I never understood how they did it. Must be the that. VR would be, you know, the beginning and the end of Vancouver. Right. right? So YVR. I don't know what What's the Y? Who knows? But okay. it's all over the place. Uh, the other thing you were telling me is that your organization's U.S. office is in Clear Lake, Iowa. That's right. That's an hour and a half up the road from where we're at. And only thing I thought was going on in Clear Lake was the surf ballroom where Buddy Holly played his oh, last concert. I've seen that building, yes, <laughs> and I've seen the lake. But no, uh, my husband is the Canadian director for International Messengers. It started about 40 years ago, and it is a missionary sending agency. So we're not known for one specific niche. But we, people come to us and they say, you know, I just believe God's asking me to, here's one, one instance, I believe God's asking me to start a marine-based um, evangelical outreach along British Columbia's coast. And I don't know how to do that. I need support. I need, you know, if donors want to send in financial donations, how do I do the taxing, uh, the tax receipts and all that? And so this is this is true story. It's happening right now. Wow. And so we have a young gal who just graduated from the Canadian Coast Guard in June, and wow. she is going to be directing a marine-based ministry. There was one for like 40 years, and all of those folks are now too old, and they're saying, we need to turn this over to somebody else. She worked with them for seven years, in the past and then went to Coast Guard Academy and now they've come to her and said would you want to take this over so she's kind of rebranding it and renaming the ship but it is so exciting and that's just one example of the types of ministries that we have under our umbrella around the world so give me an example I mean just talk about this example what is a marine based yeah so we are going to have it's a 52 foot steel boat that is just specifically designed and built for the coast and the kind of weather we get the kind of shoreline we get for safety right so um, and she will have to develop a team probably with seven or eight team members they will go out probably three to four weeks at a time and uh, probably four four people on the boat at once and then um, they will just go out into villages and communities that are inaccessible by road. Wow. Taking the gospel in a lot of indigenous communities up there. Wow. And they will go all, like, they can go all the way up the coast right up to Alaska. Wow. And, and that's what they will be doing. And then we've got a, a land base as well so that when they're not at sea, they have a place to stay. But it's like a headquarters, right? So there will be caretakers there to look after the property when there's no one around and that type of thing. But, but it is taking the gospel to places that are inaccessible by road. And what's, what's the role of the organization that's in Clear Lake? That's the U.S. headquarters. And so it started with the U.S. 40 years ago, and then they came to my husband and I back in 2007 and said, we want to open this up to Canada as well and get Canadian believers off the pews and out into areas beyond their comfort zone. So so uh, we, we have career missionaries, a lot of nationals, more than half of our missionaries are nationals. And we have- What do you mean when you say nationals? Nationals would be, so if we have ministries in the Ukraine, they are Ukrainians that are trained for ministry. Yeah. We have missionaries in the Middle East. They are Egyptian young adults that have been trained for ministry in the Middle East. Which is preferable because a bunch of the cultural 
cross-cultural stuff is just taken care of because they're yes. nationals. They don't make the mistakes yeah. that, that North Americans might tend to make. Right? They don't have to learn the language. They know it already. So yeah. there are challenges raising support because there may be in communities or, or church backgrounds that aren't familiar with this whole thing of raising support. Yeah. And so that's their challenge. But you know, we work with them as North Americans. We send them short-term teams. They develop relationships through the staff that we send to do say English learning camps, yeah. evangelistic English learning camps, and the Bible is a tool. Yeah. But the English speaking people are the ones that are, that's the draw to bring people into these camps. Because the, the folks that come want to learn to speak conversational English, then they can get better jobs, yeah. right? And so they come to speak conversational English, but we present them with the gospel and we give them the Bible to teach them how to read English. And then we talk about the parables of Jesus. Very and cool. It is very cool. And that's where the bulk of our national missionaries have come from. Is they've attended a camp like that. They've come to faith in Christ gone to our missionary training center as a result and now they're doing the same thing and the church is growing awesome now speaking of marine-based ministry you live on a boat yourself yes how did that happen and, and let's talk about that a little bit yeah so i grew up as a landlubber in southern alberta right and i married a guy i married a guy from washington state drove he drove a boat when he was six years old so he was from a family that lived on the waterfront that and that's what they did they did waterfront activities for fun that's all he knew and so when he was an Eagle Scout, he, he actually built a little sailboat in his mom's living room because it was wet outside. She said, why don't you just do it in here? So when it was finished, he took it out through the sliding glass door. Wow. And then uh, later, uh, we married, we were missionaries in Nepal for a bit. We came oh, wow. back, ended up working at the same camp where we met. So he was program director for 11 years up there from 96 to 2007 and bought, we bought a 27 foot Catalina then. And because he was program director and sailing is his real passion, he developed a sailing program for the BC coast of, of, for kids, teenagers and families, adults as well, and, and developed a whole fleet of 27 foot Catalinas for that camp. And then, then International Messengers asked us to come and be their Canadian directors, so we moved away from the camp, left the boat there, and my husband thought he'd never sail again. Kind of broke his heart, but mm -hmm. it's like, you know, the cost of following Jesus, he thought. <laughs> and then, uh, but he was willing to do that. And then, oh man, it was like 2007, we were walking around a marina at one point, just killing time. And he said, wouldn't it be fun to live on a sailboat someday? And I said, yeah, it would, because I thought, it'll never happen. I don't have to burst his little bubble. It's just never going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it would be fun. And it, that conversation came up maybe twice in the next 20 years. So in 2017, we had just come back from summer in Romania and Poland. We're walking through a marina, killing time, you know, and, and uh, there were four boats for sale. And I remember, we, we didn't know at the time, we didn't know that there's sort of a culture there in, in marinas. Okay. But we went to the office and we said, could somebody show us the inside of those boats? And just for fun, were they just for fun. And the gal in the office said, well, I don't have a broker here today, but I'll just unlock the doors and you can have at her and just let me know when you're done. That would be the equivalent of us going to a street where there's four houses for sale and going to say a show home and there's somebody there at the desk and we say those four houses for sale could you just unlock the door and let us in at our own free will and just walk around and them saying sure okay no problem just let wow. us know when you're done right it doesn't happen yeah but we didn't know and the lady just let us in so we're in this one boat 44 foot long and i looked around and something came over my tongue and i just looked around and i said my husband's name is gene and i said gene 
you know, we'd been working out seriously at the gym to really get in shape and stuff. And I said, we are in better shape now than we've been in for 20 years and we're not getting any younger. If we're ever going to live on a boat, I think now's the time. And as soon as it was out of my mouth, it was like, what have I said? And my husband looked at me with, with brand new eyes. Like, he goes, yeah. are you serious? And I looked at him and I said, I, I, I guess so. And, you know, things came together within five or six months. We were the owners of a 48-foot sailboat that was, I mean, God did miracle after miracle after miracle. And now we live in a marina. We've been there for four and a half years. We have yet to find another believer. And we know that we are there by God's design to wow. be Jesus with skin on to these people who don't know the Lord. Wow. And so we have just been having a blast developing relationships with people who are growing marijuana on their boats and you know like alcohol is huge there and I've learned a whole lot of four-letter words since moving there but you know, we would never have anything to do with these people if we were living in our little Christian bubble that wow. God planted us there and we I, I, I don't even know how to describe the joy that I feel that's come from walking in obedience purging all my earthly belongings and just just going aboard a boat when I'm a landlubber at heart right but there's joy in obedience, and I'm loving these people, and we have developed trusting relationships with them, and they would do anything for us now, just as we would do anything for them. So are you mostly tied onto a dock, or are you out floating around, or what? No, we're tied to a dock for the most part, because you know there's a lot of weather out there on the coast, so there's really only a window where we can get out there in, in good, safe weather, and that would be spring, summer, early fall. But we're both working full time, and so yeah. we, for that reason too, we just don't have the freedom. But we are not in a place where you can just let go of the rope and go sail. We are up the river at a marina where it takes an hour and a half motoring just to get to the mouth of the river that puts us between the coast and Vancouver Island. So yeah. it's, it's a pretty big deal. You don't just do it in a day. Yeah. We go out for two or three nights minimum, but for instance, we took a friend just up the river uh, three weekends ago, and on the way back, a submerged log hit our rudder yeah. and bent it. So as I speak, my husband is on a boat that's out of the water and propped way up on stilts to get that rudder out and fixed. And um, you know, there was some fiberglass damage and stuff too. But, yeah. but it's not easy. He's saying, Grace, it's not gonna happen. It's not gonna be done before you get home. So I have some friends that said, you can stay in our basement suite because it's hard to live on on the heart it's called the heart is what the repair yard is called so oh wow anyway it's, so, it's an adventure so what else have you learned living on a boat oh so many spiritual insights let me tell you you know when we talk about the storms the storms of life it's not a matter of of if they come but when and we all go through those storms of life and so to prepare for them like we don't try to prepare when the storm is on right we prepare when the going's good and you know but it's like developing a, a regular quiet time with god being in the word knowing what the word says knowing the promises of god because once you get in the storm it's really hard to start grabbing at straws and yes. and, and having them calm your heart it's not going to happen well <laughs> but if we know those promises and they become a regular part of our yeah. of our thinking process yep then we're ready when those storms hit they don't just blow us over so I learned that the hard way. Here's the, here's a little analogy or metaphor, whatever you want to call it. I, <laughs> one of the first times we went out, I didn't realize that I need to stow things in my boat that could become like projectiles if the weather gets rough. Oh, my. And so I have three little artificial plants that are in little teeny pots, but those pots are like concrete. And I have a toaster and I have a crock pot. I and mean, this is my house, so I have those appliances sitting out. But 
when we got out into rough water, all of a sudden everything started shifting. And, and at one point I looked down and we, we put a little stand-up fridge in there where we put milk and cheese and yogurt and the things we get out every day. That door had flown open and I have eggs, eggs coming out of my fridge and the little containers of yogurt are flying across oh, the floor. No. And, that type of thing and I thought oh my word oh my word why didn't I get this but now I know before we ever leave that dock yeah I take anything that could go flying across the salon of the boat and I put it away um, so that it can't do that and I and I take a bungee cord and strap that little stand-up fridge yeah. closed so that that door is not going to open it's like we, we need to be prepared, but we prepare before we yes. get into the storm. One of the podcasts that we have that's a sister podcast to this one is the CC Podcast Daily Dose Devotions. And we do a Bible overview every day for six minutes, 730 some episodes. We're in the middle of Luke right now, started in Genesis a couple and a half years ago, whatever it was. And one of the motives behind that is exactly what you're describing is a lot of people who are Christian don't get in the Word very regularly and they don't really know where to start. And so you try to do this in bite-sized pieces, give a little bit of an explanation and hope that that makes it more digestible, mm -hmm. not that the Holy Spirit needs our help um, because it's totally digestible on its own. But uh, the idea being that people need to kind of seed away nuggets of truth so that when life happens, they're ready to stand on truth. Like you said, if you, if you wait until you're in the middle of a crisis to go to God's word, you're going to be pulling verses out of context, misapplying stuff that God never meant to be applied the way that you're applying it because you went to your concordance and looked up whatever your issue is and then found a verse and somehow squeezed it into your situation rather than over time, day by day, getting to know the truth of his word, getting to know the character of his heart, so that you can stand confidently and strongly even on your worst day. That's what you're saying, isn't it? That's exactly what I'm saying. That's why I wrote the book, too. So uh, there's actually a series of three devotionals. This was the second of the three. And so Keeping Hope Alive, Devotions for Strength in the Storm, I wrote them in like 225 word nuggets. They're short very short because I was thinking of people in crisis where they um, they don't have the I would say the brain space or the capacity to focus on a long passage yeah but they desperately need the biblical encouragement they need to remember who God is and what his promises are and so this is a resource for them they're sitting at the hospital bed of their their child perhaps or they just got word that their spouse has a, a cancer diagnosis and they've you know five months to live or something like that's happened and their head is like ah oh, I don't even know what to think I, I can't I can't focus I can't calm my mind enough to to remember what mm -hmm. those promises are. And so this is the little resource to help them walk through that type of situation. So let's talk about like pain in your own life. Where yeah. I'm sure some of this comes from yes. personal experience. Okay. So my husband and I were involved in missions in Nepal back in the 80s. And uh, we were there with a short-term agency for three years at first, but we had come through to the point where we wanted to commit the rest of our lives there. And so we had a, our first child was born there and everything was okay with that. But our second child was born with a condition called hydrocephalus. 
Yeah. Too much water on the brain. Yep. Okay, so she was born with this extremely large head. Yep. And I had to have a C-section to deliver her. And the doctors there then said, you can't stay here. She needs a shunt in her head to drain this excess fluid off, and we can't do that. So you need to be on the first available flight back to North America. Wow. So there are a lot of flights like that now, flying out of Kathmandu. But back then in the 80s, there were like one or two a week, you know? Yeah. And so she was born on a Tuesday. Wednesday is when they, well, Tuesday they said, you got to go home. Wednesday, my husband tried to get airline tickets. And when the airline found out that I'd had a C-section, they said, well, sorry for you, but uh, yeah. we don't want a baby under two weeks old because that's too risky. And we don't want anybody like your wife on board because she's had surgery. And so it's going to be, you know, a couple weeks before she can fly. Wow. And so my husband just thought, man, if we don't get our daughter home, she'll probably die. So um, this was before 9-11. And so, like, he wrapped her in a blanket. And, and hit her? And took her home. He didn't hide her, but he just wrapped her in a blanket. And the doctors, and we gave him one bottle of express breast milk. Another young mom and I, back in, we had a 12-hour drive back to Kathmandu on Thursday. And wow. then he left on Friday morning. And so this other young mom that was a missionary guest house guest and myself, combined milk into one bottle we gave him a diaper bag and he wrapped this baby up and then left and the doctor said if anybody asks you how old she is just don't answer just yeah. say she's young <laughs> you know yeah, but, yeah, but yeah. really that's about it yeah and so um, he left and I was left behind and I had my 20 month old son hmm. and he'd had a measles vaccination a few days prior so now he's feverish and you know reacting hmm. to that and he didn't want anybody else touching him so I'm laying on my back after saying goodbye to my three-day-old daughter not knowing if I would ever see her again. I didn't know if she was going to live or die. I didn't know uh, what her quality of life would be if she lived. I, there were so many unknowns there. We faced a perfect storm because my husband didn't have a job back in North America. We didn't have a house. We didn't have a car. We, we, were, we had just had an interview one week prior with a career mission agency, so we were ready to commit our lives to Nepal. Um, and we did not have uh, health care insurance for the oh, U.S. Wow. Our, our sending agency was small. They had, they had thought, oh, we have some real estate. We can sell off if any of our staff have a problem. And I mean, we could have made them go broke with mm. the bills that accumulated with Stephanie's needs. But there I was, left behind, and I just remember laying there on my back and thinking, God, I wrestled through culture shock for two years, and now I'm ready to spend the rest of my life here. And now we're going back. Like, what, what is this? What, what is this? But the question that kept coming back to my mind was, what do you want me to learn through this? Yeah. It wasn't why me. It was, what do you want me to learn? Because I, I, I just figured there's got to be something really deep in here. Because yeah. what I've just been through for the last several years, this is not for nothing. Yeah. And, and I remember laying there and hot tears just like running down my face. And my little boy laying on my, on my chest and tummy area with his little arms wrapped around my neck. And he's crying because he doesn't understand why his little world's been upset and daddy's gone. Yeah. But into that really dark moment, I just, I heard the spirit speak to me in my thoughts. And what he did was he said, the, the, the lyrics of the hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness. Wow. And so he didn't promise me that my daughter was going to live. And he didn't promise me that she'd have a great quality of life. But he did promise me that whatever the future held, he would be faithful. Yeah. And boy, did I hang on to that. And so I remember the day when I was a teenager, I had posters all over my bedroom and inside my locker at school. One poster that I just loved back then was a picture of a kitten. And it, there was a, a big rope coming down from the roof with a knot at the bottom. And the kitten at the bottom with its little claws dug into that knot. 
and it said, when, uh, when all else fails, tie a knot and hang on. <laughs> and that came into my head too, and I thought, okay, it, I just feel like everything else is failing around me, but I'm hanging on to that knot yeah. of God's promise to be faithful no matter what our yeah. future holds. And Amen. so I, I got home, it was eight days later, uh, Stephanie had had surgery to put a shunt in her head, but there was one time a week later when this pediatric cardiologist walked in and said, she is so sick. She, she needs heart surgery because she's got a heart defect as well. And, but we can't do that till she's about two, but she's so sick. She will never survive to be two. Hmm. And he said, you can take her home in a week or so, but you'll bring her back by the end of the month and she will probably die here of, of heart failure. Wow. And I'm, yeah, that's what I said, wow. Like I just looked at him and I'm thinking, oh my word, oh God, help us all. But we just got this prayer chain worldwide going. And, you know, two months later, the doctor looked at the heart tests, you know, threw him up on the light, the, whatever test it, were, it was. And he just said, I don't, I don't understand this, but this is gone. Wow. Her heart defect is gone. And she's in, in, as far as I understand it, recorded medical history for the fastest, they called it self-healing of that condition. Wow. Right? But she had probably a dozen surgeries in the first couple of years and meningitis when she was 11 months old. Brain surgery, as soon as she got out of that hospital for meningitis, she had brain surgery to take a cyst off her brain. And it's like one thing after another. Her pediatric um, neurosurgeon that was supposed to do the surgery for the brain surgery was killed in a helicopter skiing accident a week before the surgery. And her, her wow. occupational therapist uh, died in a freak uh, she was hiking with her with friends and and she died in her sleep overnight because she had an unknown heart defect and she died because of altitude in a tent Jeez. sleeping at night I'm mean, like weird stuff happened and and we just hung on to the promise of God's faithfulness and mm. she's 37 now and she's wow. she has neurological issues but man she's a certified financial coach and she's brilliant that is awesome brilliant and so like I just my story ended well other people's stories don't end well. Yeah. And all I say is d don't let go of hope because no matter what direction your story goes and everything feels like it's out of control, hang on to the promises of God. But there we need to be familiar with those promises of God so we can hang on to them. Mm. Right? Yeah, they need to be in us. So uh, what other books have you written? You said this is the second of a series of three, mm -hmm. but you've done some other writing before this? Yeah, this would be book number 12. So uh, one of the other books that I wrote was Moving from Fear to Freedom, A Woman's Guide to Peace in Every Situation, and developed a Bible study off that, uh, Peaceful Moments to Begin Your Day, uh, Morning Moments with God. Those are all devotions that I've written. Those are with Harvest House. I write with guideposts. Mornings with Jesus is an annual 365-day devotional. Yeah, I, I, I've Where did this whole writing thing come from? I can look back to fourth grade, and I remember, like, seriously? Okay, loving to write book reports and social studies reports. Oh. Love that. But I remember having the flu one time, okay? And when I got back to school, the day I got back, the teacher came around, and she goes, okay, we're going to have a, what was it, division test. Multiplica you know, multiplication and division. She goes, she started walking around the room and putting the little test down on everybody's desk. I froze, I froze. All I could think of was, I'm gonna fail. I just don't do numbers. Fourth grade, I, I put up my hand, this is what I did. And I said, I think I'm gonna throw up. Cause she knew that I had just been home with the flu, right? I, said, I think I'm gonna throw up. And she goes, oh, you can go to the bathroom. So I, I went down the hall 
locked myself in a stall and thought, now what am I going to do? <laughs> and the next thing, a few minutes later, the teacher comes in and she goes, Grace, I've talked to the principal and he's going to take you home because you probably aren't over the flu yet. So he took me home. Mom was there to receive me and I faked it for two days. <laughs> That I still had the flu because the math test scared me that much, right? But I loved writing pen pal letters. If I had pen pals that I found in newspapers, you know, other girls my age across the country or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So back then, back then, I knew that there was something about writing that I loved and math I hated. So I married a guy who had trained as an engineer, right? We were a good team. So. Incredible. So uh, tell me your faith story. Like, did you grow up in a Christian home? Did you come to faith later? I grew up in a Christian home. Yeah, if the church door was open, we were there. So I remember going to Pioneer Girls on Wednesday nights and vacation Bible school and Christian summer camp and all the rest of it. But I was eight. I remember I was eight years old. I'd had a conversation with my older sister in bed one night. and She was laying there telling me about how wonderful heaven would be and the streets of gold. And, you know, and I'm laying there thinking, wow, I want a piece of that. Mm. So I went out of my room. I went into the living room where my mom was. And I just said, I want to go to heaven someday. Mm. And she knelt with me it's at precious. the couch and prayed with me. So that's where I placed my faith in Jesus for uh -huh. my for salvation. And, you know, it doesn't mean that I, I had a bump-free road. I didn't. But when I was in sixth grade, I remember going to a Christian summer camp and in a, in a cabin at night, the gal who was my counselor was actually a woman in her 40s probably. She was a missionary home on home assignment from South America. Yeah. And she would tell us missionary stories and she challenged us. She gave us a scripture memory contest and she had a, a, a wall hanging that was made by the people in the country in which she was serving. And she said, whoever memorizes the most verses this week gets that wall hanging. And that was all I needed for motivation. Wow. So I won that at the end of the week. But that was the week that I sensed God call me into missions. Wow. And so I went to a Bible college after high school graduation to prepare for missions. And I always thought, I'm going to go as a nurse. I'll go to Bible college. I'll prepare for it. Then I'm going to go to nurse's training. But God tweaked that plan. So I graduated from Bible college and then um, went, I got, I got asked to come back as the dean of high school girls to the same campus. Wow. And so I did that. I was the dean of high school girls for a couple years. And then I thought, now I'm going to go to nurses training. But mm, my boss convinced me to come back one more year. And so the summer break before going back that one more year, I, I went out to a uh, summer camp to be a counselor because I thought I'm so done with teenage hormones yeah I'm just gonna go and work <laughs> with eight-year-old girls yeah and so I got out to that camp and when I got out there they said grace we're so glad you're here you have been a dean of high school girls so we know you can work with teenagers so we put you in charge of the leadership and training program with the teenage girls for the summer and my heart sort of went, oh, you got to be kidding. I thought I was going to work with eight-year-olds. I just need a refresher from hormonal. <laughs> but the guy who was in charge of the boys, the equivalent program, was Gene Fox. Okay. And that's how we met. And he was already accepted to go work in Nepal for a three-year commitment. Wow. So we only knew each other six weeks, worked together day in and day out, prayed together, served together. At the end of those six weeks, he asked me if I would marry him. That is awesome. And so then it was like, talk to the mission board and ask if it's okay to bring a wife. And they said yes. So then I went back to my job, worked one more semester, and then we got married at the end of that semester so that we could get to um, training together that spring. And by July 27th, we landed in Kathmandu, married only five months. Where was this camp? 
The camp was on Quadra Island in British Columbia. It was Camp Homewood. It had been around for 60 years, about 50, 60 years at that time, and just reaching the families on the coast. And so later, when I said we went back and he was program director at a camp, it was at camp. So uh, wow. yeah, we went back full circle. So how did your parents receive all this? Oh, new, yeah. New guy for six months, oh, married for five. Oh, let me, you, <laughs> let me tell you. Let me tell you. There was a phone call, like Jean proposed on a on a mm, Wednesday night, I think. He asked me to marry him. And um, on the Thursday, I thought, oh, I better call my parents. So I'm standing at the phone. I call my parents, and uh, mom and dad are both on the phone, because I said, you better both get on, get on the phone for this one. Right? <laughs> and so... <laughs> So it was pretty funny because I grew up but with the time out of sight. My do- I have three girls. Yeah. And if the dude doesn't talk to me first, the deal's off. So don't pull this stuff with me. <laughs> go, oh man. Oh man, and I'm a mother of 3 and grandma of 11 now. And if anybody tried this, I get their concern now, right? Yeah. And so here's what happened. I got this. So this guy I've been working with all summer's name Oh, I didn't even say his name at first. This guy I've been working with all summer. Um, He's really great. He's a really Godly great. guy. Yeah, exactly. And <laughs> you read my mind. And um, he asked me to marry him. Silence. Yeah. Silence. And then the next thing, the next thing that came, and you got to understand this, my maiden name was Lowen. And so it's a Mennonite name, right? So there's Reimer, Schmidt, Clausen, uh, Thiessen. You can just pick these Mennonite names out if, you, if you're familiar with that. And so I, I said, um, yeah, he asked me to marry him. And the next question was, what's his name? Oh, like, is he one of us? Exactly. Ooh. And I said, his name is Gene Fox. Ooh. Silence. And then, that's not Mennonite. Ooh. And I said, yeah, I know, but he's a really good man. And they went, wow. well, and what does he do? And I said, well, he's a civil engineer, and he's been accepted to go to Nepal as a missionary for three years. And they knew that God had put it on my heart for years to work in missions, but there is a silence. And then my dad clearly knew nothing about Nepal. I'm sure he didn't even know where it was. He said, isn't that where you go to die? And I went, oh, oh man, oh man, we got some work to do here, right? But Gene flew out. I, I returned just shortly um, after that to my place of work, which was only a couple hours from where my folks lived. And then Gene flew out on like Labor Day weekend and, and met my parents. And they loved him. He talked to my dad and everything, right? And here's the thing. Here, this is pretty funny. I had been engaged once before, and that guy had broken my heart. He just fell for somebody else and broke our engagement off and broke my parents' heart as well. Oh, wow. And my dad knew what had happened. And that's why part of their concern was there. Yeah. And, and rightfully so. He was looking after his daughter's heart. But he said mm-hmm. to Jean, if you ever leave her, I will find you. <laughs> and then Jean's like, oh, I promise. I'll never leave her. I'll never leave her. But anyways, <laughs> so we got married the following February. And by then, my parents had really grown to... Awesome. To really appreciate him and accept him and love him. And you know what? They came to Nepal to visit us. Wow. When, when Matthew was six months old, he was their first grandchild. They broke through every bit of comfort zone that they'd ever known. And they flew to Nepal and spent two weeks with us in That's a mud cool. hut with a grass roof. Slept on the floor. No electricity, no rainwater. Latrine in the yard. They did the whole thing because of their love for us and their That's support awesome. for us. I know a couple that was in Nepal in the 80s. When were you there? 
in let's see we went over there in 82 to 85 okay it, it might have been before them but it's uh heavy sledding spiritually but oh. incredible right boy did i grow and we've been able to go back back to that village twice since and talk with those villagers many of whom are still alive and the last time we were there we were able to to leave 10 bibles behind wow in that village and the people just took them gladly that's cool. Uh, yeah. The people I know were a doctor and an engineer, and uh, I actually interviewed her them on this podcast a year ago or so, and we changed their names because they're doing some other mission work wow. that they didn't want to be identified with. But she talked about, you know, being one of the only doctors within like a however many mile radius, and she'd get woken up in the middle of the night that some woman was having a hard time with a, a delivery, a baby delivery. I think six hour round trip walk sure. to some village to help somebody. Sure. It's just like, that's not, regular. Not unusual, yep. We think ambulance, right? Somebody needs help in ambulance. But man, I saw villagers walk, say a, a villager would be walking with a straw basket on their back with a little side of it carved out so that the sick person could sit in that basket facing out with the legs hanging over. Wow. But sometimes it might be a three-day walk to wow. the nearest hospital. Incredible. It was incredible. Um, you grew up Mennonite then? Yeah, well, I, mom and dad went to Mennonite Brethren Church as newlyweds, and then when they changed, my dad changed his occupation, they moved into a town where there were no MB churches, and, and so I grew up in an evangelical free church. And, okay. But with Mennonite traditions, yeah. Yep. Cool, cool. Yeah. Uh, being called into mission work. One of the things that I believe, and I think you'd agree with this, is that every Christian needs to be involved with reaching the nations in some way. Um, what are different ways people can be involved if they're not called to go to Nepal? Mm -hmm. And rather than being thinking about it as I'm not called to go I think a lot of people go I'm not called to go uh, but do we think about I'm called to stay you know what I mean like yeah. just well, I know some people are givers right yeah. because the people who are called to go can't go unless they've got the financial backing yeah. Unless it's a tent-making ministry, which it is. In some places, to have to get visas, it'll be a tent-making ministry. Meaning, but many, when you say tent-making? Meaning they've got to have a job in order to get a visa to stay. Yeah, so it's so, kind of bivocational. It or, is, yeah. yeah. And so, but in those cases where it's not, and they have to raise their full support, there are, they need that support team back home. And so, yeah, if you, if you can contribute something, financially do that. They need a regular ongoing support because guess what? They have to pay their bills too. Yeah. And so there's that, but prayer support. Yeah. And here's the thing, letting those people know that you're praying for them. Yeah. Don't just assume that they know. Yeah. Just contact them, send them an email or yeah. whatever, and just say, you're on my mind today, I prayed for you today, or guess what, I pray for you every Monday, or something like that. Yeah. Here's what I prayed for you today. My husband does that. He sends out scripture-based prayers to the staff back at that camp where we worked for 11 years. Cool. He's done that for 15 years, every single day, to those staff to say, here's my prayer for you today. Yeah. And, uh, but that is a huge encouragement to whoever's on the receiving end. Or when those goers come back, yeah. they probably don't have a, a home to come back to. So it's hard when you come back and you don't have the familiar, or you have children especially, but you don't have a vehicle. How are you gonna get from point A to point B? So 
you know, think of practical ways to support these people to make the homecoming time easier, especially if they're only home for six months. Yeah. They, you know, where are they going to stay? Um, it's hard to even find a place to rent for six months. But if somebody's got a basement suite that's available, yeah. put them up, you know. Yeah. And if you've got an extra car that's available for a family like that, a van or whatever that you're not using, let them use it. You yeah. are blessing people and God will bless you for Awesome. for doing that yeah so uh when's the third one coming out and uh, what's it called the third one's called fresh hope for today devotions for joy on the journey and that one is supposed to be released on october the 4th you uh, i was getting ready to sign off here but then i remembered you told me another thing you learned by being on the boat with the water coming in the cracked oh, window yes Yes. Give us another lesson or two you've learned okay. from being on the boat. Absolutely. So what I found, like when we're talking about the storms of life, the enemy is going to try to get into our minds. He is going to come in with all kinds of lies, like um, even the negative self-talk. We have to be careful with what we speak over ourselves um, because we might say, I can't do this anymore. And you know what? Yes, we can because God is with us. He's never going to get us into a situation that's going to, take us out the enemy will want to take us out so i was on a boat one time and we got into a, a, an area that when the tide and the wind collide there can be big swells and that happened to us one of our first times out now we don't go out at that time because we know better but we didn't at the time so when the water started getting rough i thought whoa you know the whole the the, the hatch at the bow over the sleeping berth there is open i better go shut it and so i pulled it down thought i had uh, sealed it tight but there was one little notch further that I missed and it was open just a crack. And so by the time, it was like 45 minutes of rocking and rolling, water is coming over the stern and the, you know, the bow, the water's splashing over the bow. And by the time we got through that, I thought I was gonna die, but 45 minutes into that, out of that, and I went into the boat to just find out how it all fared. And the, oh my word, water had come crashing through that little crack so in the end, we had to take the blanket off the bed, the sheets off the bed. Thankfully, I'd put a mattress protector on that had a waterproof um, you know, lining, and so that semi-protected the mattress, but we had to open that hatch and pull all that stuff out, pillows, everything. Our guests, we had guests on board, their suitcase was wet, everything had to come out. And we found a little safe haven and the sun came out. We just put it on every rod, everything on the boat was covered with bedding and you know, to dry these things out. But to me, I thought, isn't that typical of our minds when we get into these situations? If we leave a crack open in mm -hmm. our thinking, the enemy's going to find that. Mm -hmm. And he's going to come in and he's going to say, God must not love you anymore. If uh, he really loved you, he wouldn't let this happen to you. Yeah. Uh, where is God anyways? You know, I guess he's not hearing your prayers for help and you know, doesn't yeah. really care about you. And, and guess what? Nobody really cares about you. You are on your own. Don't talk to anybody about this because they're not going to really care to hear anyways. Yeah. And all of those are lies. And so we have to be so cautious to not give the enemy that crack. Just not. And, and just ask the Lord to guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus and bring every thought captive unto the obedience of Christ to stand on those promises and stand on the truths. We need that. We desperately need that to get through those storms. That is great stuff. So, Grace, where can people follow you? Where can people find this? 
Um, you have a website, social media. Mm-hmm. Yep, I'm on Facebook. So I've got two. I've got my uh, timeline, Grace Lowen. There's a Mennonite name, Grace Lowen. How do you spell that? L O E W E N. Okay. Um, uh, Grace L Fox, it might even be. But then there's uh, Grace Fox Christian Author Speaker page where they can get all kinds of spiritual. Uh, I put my podcast up there. I, you know, just all kinds of spiritual inspirational articles go on that one and then um they can actually listen to my podcast too i'm a podcast co-host for your daily bible verse i was going to ask what podcast do you do your daily bible verse yeah so what's the format how often it is like exegetical bible teaching so six to eight minutes long yeah Yeah, and it's available wherever people listen to their every day it's five days a week monday through friday yeah yeah. and so i co-host um we just added two more people to the team just to make it a little more doable for all of us yeah. but but yeah so monday through friday and wh- what's that called again your daily bible verse just wherever you listen to where it's everywhere yeah, yeah. go to crosswalk.com it's there too yeah. isn't this podcasting amazing it is i mean it gives so many people a voice who would never have a voice i just looked up a link the other day to see where this thing is broadcast i found out it's like in the top 0.5 percent of podcasts wow. and it listed all the flags of the countries underneath and it's probably in 30 countries around the world blew me away that's awesome blew me away awesome well grace thank you for your time god bless your ministry god bless your time on the boat with your husband and your book and uh have a great rest of the conference thanks for stopping by thank you so much the cc podcast conversations is part of christian crusaders radio and internet ministry started in 1936 and is one of America's longest-running radio ministries. We are 100% donor-funded, and donations to our ministry are tax-deductible. So if you are encouraged, challenged, or inspired by today's conversation, please consider making a donation on our website, christiancrusaders.org, or mail a check to Christian Crusaders, 7401 University Avenue, Cedar Falls, Iowa, 50613. In addition to our other podcasts, which I mentioned at the front of this episode, I want to mention two of our other ministry partners worth checking out. First, the Cedar Falls Bible Conference, equipping believers with the truth of God's Word since 1922. Visit cedarfallsbibleconference.com for free access to previous conference content or for more information about upcoming events. Second is Power to Change Digital Strategies, an online ministry partnering volunteer Christian mentors with people around the world searching the internet for answers. If you or someone you know could benefit from an anonymous online conversation with a caring Christian adult, go to issuesiface.com. Or if you would like to be a volunteer Christian mentor, please visit p2cdigital.com. That's the letter P, the number two, and the letter C, digital.com. See our episode notes for details and links, and remember to subscribe, leave a five-star rating, and write a review. God's richest blessings to you, and thanks again for listening.